Peter. Uh, great. So, uh, a uh, theatrical version of, of the job, and, and, and the first question I have to ask you is, have you ever had a device that has had a countdown clock on it telling you how many seconds you've actually got to go before you die? <laughs> uh, not in reality, no. Okay. No. The baddies um, aren't that helpful. Uh, no, they're not that nice to you most of the time, <laughs> nor can they be really bothered in, uh, you know, divulging or making something that creative or interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that takes quite a lot of extra sort of creation as well to sort of put... Uh, there's a bit of time and effort that, yeah, that, you know, they just want it to go bang, they don't really care when, so... Yeah, yeah uh, fantastic. So, you know, we, we make a transition from acting into, into the world of the bomb disposal, and, you know, I, it's, I think it's a fascinating opportunity for us to have a look at an environment where there's some different rules, there's some different reference points, and performance has, you know, um, successful performance has life and death, you know, implications to it as well. And sure. I think, you know, it's great listening to Danny talking about the life and death behind Shakespeare, and then we move into an environment as well where, you know, you guys put yourselves at risk very often. Um, I wonder, just so that we can get inside the reality and away mm. from the presentation, can, can you give us a little bit of a feel as to sort of what a typical day, week, month would actually be like in someone in your world? Uh, yeah, I'll try. It's really quite varied depending on, on what stage and what, what type of bomb disposal you're dealing with where you are. Um, but pretty much similarly, it, it's 90% boredom and monotony, 10% um, if that, uh, pure chaos, frantic panic uh, and very small moments of, of incredible clarity and focus. Um, so we, in the military, we cover everything from uh, granddad's grenade that he finds uh, all the way through to schoolboys making homemade bombs just to see what they can do to criminal terrorist activities uh, in the UK. Um, and we, we experience the full remit of that and, and any one point during the week whilst you're on duty you could come across any one of those three things. Mm -hmm. um, Life is a lot more simple when you're out in the desert somewhere dusty and you know people are trying to kill you. Um, that's, that's pretty much what you're expecting to turn up to and it's a fairly simple mindset. But even then, you know, there are long periods of, um, of nothing, long periods of waiting uh, and, and that, that's quite a challenge in itself, uh, of waiting for something to happen. Um, you're not building towards a performance, you don't know when it's going to be, you just know at some point you've got to pull it out of the bag in any given situation and you don't have control over that. Um, and then the latter points of my career uh, is interesting. We chatted to some guys earlier. The more you specialise and, and the more you sort of focus on the uh, more technical and more Hollywood style uh, of bomb disposal, you know, cutting wires by hand, um, the less you hope you're ever going to have to do it, uh, and, and the less it turns out you ever actually do have to do it. So it, it ranges. You know, there's there's days where things are incredibly frantic. There are days when things are really quite calm. I'm trying to achieve a balance is nothing to do with with us and what we get up to yeah. uh, so there's lots of training there's lots of inventory checks management stuff you know teams to manage it's, it's the daily sort of uh, grind of work-life balance and then thrown into that is, is the bomb disposal piece. yeah yeah and, and, but that actually when you start totaling up the demand and that kind of waiting for stuff every day and not knowing if it is going to be a significant day what what, what kind of toll does that take on you and the, and the, and the, and the people that you're leading because that that feels like that must that's got its own cost in there when you also want people incredibly fresh and absolutely on it yeah it does um, it, I mean there's there's two sides of it there's a lot of stress and a lot of angst um, in waiting for that thing to happen and you, know, you go through a lot of different emotions during that period um, you know there, there's a whole breadth of, of feeling really arrogant and cocksure after you finish a job and then doubt creeps in, and the longer it is, the more you're uncertain as to whether you're actually good enough to do it. You know, you know the stakes, you know where it's going to go. Um, and once you've done it two or three times, four times, five times, you're a week, two months into a deployment, 
Um, trying to keep the team focused, especially during long periods of, of sort of downtime, um, is really quite a challenge. You know, the, you, you can go the other way. You can become too comfortable with the environment. You can become too sure of yourself, and, and that's. So does familiarity actually breed contempt in a life and death environment? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, it does. Um, you know, it's there are instances where that may have been the case and where that has caused um, you know, accident, injury, death, um, you know, it, it does breed contempt. So, you know, we, we try as, as best as we can put ourselves through um, constant training, constant scenarios, constantly testing yourself. Um, that in itself is quite a, quite a challenging thing to do, to take someone who's in their mind, and in your own mind, um, reached a certain level of performance to then, you know, keep constantly trying to say, well, prove it, prove it. If, if you're out doing the job, Finally, proving it every day, but proving it to yourself when you're you're on a down period is quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that piece is quite interesting as a reference point because I understand it takes eighteen months to train to be able to qualify to be in the position in the first instance. Yeah, it does. So I mean, that that's outside of the um, the sort of required level of, of military experience beforehand. So um, in my personal experience, it, it took me six years um, after commissioning uh, of military experience, logistics, operational tours to get around to um, specialising and then that, that actual training starts from a really grassroots, um, hard to see where it's going to fall into line with, with what you're ultimately going to do. Um, sitting back in classrooms, learning physics again, maths, chemistry, that kind of stuff, um, all the way back through the 18 months of, of doing various incremental stuff um, to finding yourself coming down to, to three jobs, whether you pass or fail in, whether you actually deploy as an operational uh, operator or not. Yeah. And, and, and so once you make the grade, what, what, what then is the process and what's the mindset be behind that kind of testing, retesting? What's the kind of what, what, what do you have to do to keep proving you've got what it takes? So it's, um, as I say, there, there, are, there are three different sort of stages of, of, of bomb disposal, if you like. So there's the domestic support the police day to day bomb disposal. And whilst we're doing that, we are generally out there making sure the public are safe, removing explosive hazards from, from anything from, let's say, granddad's grenade that is kept from World War II uh, through to a potential terrorist device. Um, and quite rightly, we are held to account for that. You know, there's the normal sort of health and safety legislation. The Home Office wants to know that the guy that's going down there to do that, the girl that's going to go and do that, um, is qualified, is competent, that they're current, that they, they can do it. So every six months when we're in the UK, we have to revalidate. Um, and it's exactly the same process, it's exactly the same testing regime as qualifying initially, so there's no, there's no drop-off, um, you're expected to deliver more and more. Um, bomb disposals, it's going to sound weird, bomb disposals are a really easy thing to pass, a really easy thing to be good at. Um, Place is open, evidently. It's, it's even easier to be really bad at it, and it's really easier. So, so make, it's not difficult, um, but there are a lot of mistakes you can make and a lot of simple things you can do wrong. Um, so... Putting yourself on the line every six months um, and, and open to that sort of level of criticism and that, that ability to potentially fail um, is, is quite a big thing. Even for you know, four, five, six years into the job, it, you still get the nerves, you still get the panic. There's a lot of pressure there to, to deliver. Um, and that's both on a professional level, um, you know, to actually maintain that qualification and all the rest of it. And there's also a lot of, a lot of ego, a lot of attitude. You know, You've, you've got to convince yourself that you're not just good at this, you're the best person out there. You know, There have been guys and girls who aren't good at this and they didn't come back from a job. Right. Um, so you know, it's arrogant to think that you're better than other people, 
but you've kind of got to, and, and, and you do, you, know, you, you push yourself forward for it. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's interesting in terms of those choices you have to make in terms of belief and, and, and backing yourself as well. If, 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 if people don't stay at the grade, what, what's the mindset around being failed? Um, there's, more, there's more personal stigma attached to it than, oh, okay. than, than the trade or anyone looking at it. You know, Everyone knows that you can have a bad day. Everyone knows that, that you just think you can overcomplicate things, you can make it more than it needs to be. You can try and, uh, you know, any test, you can try and preempt what the examiner wants to see um, and you can get it wrong. So there's no real stigma attached to it. No one's career has ever been faulted because we didn't, didn't achieve or didn't pass. Yeah. Um, it's just, you get on with it, you retrain, you, 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 you qualify another day and you get back on with the job again later. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when we were talking preparation, you, you talked about the fact actually the importance of being able to fail people and, and, and what, you know, just in terms of because of the severity of what you do and the, and the seriousness of it, actually that threshold is a pretty important. Absolutely. Um, I think it was, a, it was a pretty important realization during my career. So I'd had a um, pretty easy run of it going through the sort of 18 months training, qualifying as an operator, the first six months of operating. Uh, I found it all pretty comfortable. Um, and I was, I was, doing my high threat course, which is another eight week course uh, selection period um, to go out to Afghanistan for the first time. And I got to the end of that and I had my three jobs and I'd, I'd successfully completed every three jobs. I hadn't died, no one had, nothing had gone wrong. Um, and I sat down with the chief instructor and um, there's something pretty poignant about a guy with a hook for a hand um, telling you that you've not done anything wrong, <laughs> you've not failed, but you can be better. Um, and again, there's a range of emotions there of, well, you know, you've wanted this and I wanted it really badly. Uh, I wanted the, um, you know, the kudos of being a high threat EOD operator, as we call it, and operating in Afghanistan. And that's the job I wanted to go and do. But then, you know, there's a quick realisation that when he's saying you can be better, it's not a case of he's being picky. You know, he's there genuinely taking a, an interest in you that, that, you know, he can, for another, for sake of another eight week course, you've got more chance of coming home alive, you've got more chance of doing a good job, you've got more chance of doing what you're doing. And, and it, it's a bit of a, a reality check to realise that you might not be as good as you, you think you were, um, that you can be better, and actually failing is, is a good thing. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, you know it's, it shows you where your weaknesses are, it shows you where you can be better, and it, and it, it motivates you in certain ways. Yeah, yeah, you know, it makes me wonder about other, other settings in which, you know, proving your worth every six months and, and, and being able to grow from sort of the, the, the opportunity to fail and learn, you know, and actually doing that proactively is, is a pretty different mindset to a lot mm -hmm. of one where, we're, where people are just trying not to fail because of, you know, whatever the target is, and I can't possibly own up to not having done something sure. that might have moved us forward, so it's quite, quite an interesting one. C can, we, can we shift a little bit to the operational situation? Yeah, sure, sure. Because I, I, I think that's you know an, an insight that's you know actually if you, you've got a device and you're working is, is that a, can you talk us through how that works and what your focus is and are you alone and you know what's the kind of te what's the team set up there and how yeah. are you putting that performance together in the pressure moment? So we're very much a team. Um, we're working in very small teams. Uh, from if it's domestic and support of the police, you can be you as the operator and your number two, who's the guy who's going to help you out, he's going to help you plan, he drives the robot, he provides all the kit and maintenance and that kind of thing. Um, and you know, when people think of bond disposal, they think of, of the guy in the suit with a helmet on uh, in the middle of nothing, just him and a bomb. And, and that's quite a nice place to be. You know, it's, it's easy to focus, there's no distractions. But for that to happen, you've got to have ultimate trust, and, and you know, we spoke about trust before, that, mm -hmm. that 
the rest of your team, be it that one guy, be it two, three, four guys in your team, whatever it is, that everybody's got their job. You need to know that they're going to do their job for the right reasons, to the best of their ability, and, and allow you to just get on and do your piece of that. So it's really strange. It's a strange team dynamic, especially for the military. Um, obviously, a very hierarchical mm -hmm. uh, sort of organization. Um, but the teams we work in, you know, there's myself as an officer, and I've got a, a private soldier or a lance corporal, a pretty junior guy there, um, who calls me by my first name mm -hmm. because he's the only guy I've got to tell me that what I'm about to go and do is really dumb in his opinion. And he might be wrong, but you know, he he needs to be able to sort of check me, and I need to have that reality check that I might be, you know, going down the wrong direction, I might be about to do something stupid. So there's a whole team prep build up, everything from taking over the, the equipment, making sure that everything's working, all your batteries are charged, the, the sort of mundane day-to-day -day running piece that becomes really important when you're in a situation um, that you need to know and you need to trust that that, that you know, piece of kit you're going to trust has been checked by someone else. You, know, you can't do everything yourself. Yeah. That if you make a mistake or something goes wrong, there's someone back there who's going to come forward and, and help you out. It's going to you know, protect you. Um, we like to work in a very sterile environment. We like to make sure there's nobody else around there. So you know, we have police cordons. Um, we have inf infantry cordons, keeping everything safe and, and secure. So uh, the only way you can do your job as an operator, and you can focus on that very small area in front of you, sort of trusting that everybody else is is doing what they need to do, to the point that you don't need to think about it. You, you can just let them get on with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and is there any particular way in which you you develop that kind of team trust? Because I'm presuming you don't go on raft building ex excursions <laughs> and sort of you know do some. Is what, what what particular things do you, do you do to kind of get that level of you know trust for? That kind of performance. Um, I think that, that, that trust comes from a few places. It comes from a, a mutual understanding of, of where we've all come from as far as the, the training and the testing okay. procedure. Okay. Yeah. Um, we all train at the same school, we all train at the same standards. Um, you know, ultimately when we do test jobs, it's, it's two guys on, on test at the same time. So you've got the operator and his number two have both been tested at the same time. One can pass, one can fail, or you both fail. Usually you fail as a team, you pass as a team. Um, and if you're really, really lucky, the guys that you go through the course with, the guys you spend that kind of time with, are the ones that you're going to be operating with in the future. Um, in a lot of cases, that's not, not true. Um, I turned up uh, for my first ever tour in Afghanistan as a, uh, as a battlefield casualty replacement. So a friend of mine had a very unfortunate situation. I went out at a very short notice and they cobbled together a team. Um, a bunch of guys and girls that I'd never met before. We'd never really met each other. A couple of them may have known each other in, inside the trade. It's a small area. Um, but within a very short period of time, we were operationally deployed, we were on the ground, we were doing jobs together. And that's probably before there's any time to build any kind of personal relationship, understand each other, um, and really test how we do things. So yeah, we go out and do some training jobs, uh, but ultimately you know where, where everyone's come from, you know you've all been through the same training, you know you've all got the same goal, mindset, um, same clear, unifying purpose and intent that you need to go out with. And, uh, and again, that's back to the trust. Um, so you trust the guys that, that are willing to fail people because they're not good enough. Uh, that means when you do turn up and there's a, a random number two there or a random um, infantry escort, that, that they, they are good enough to be there and, and just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, no, great, that's, that's really insightful. So I, I know you're transitioning out of that world as well now. So, so I'm, I'm really curious as to what kind of performance challenge, you know, excites you next and where do you go from here? Having, you know, had that kind of background, mm. that, that kind of 
immersion into a very specific performance environment. What, what's, what's the opportunity for you now? Where do you get the sort of inspiration to, to test yourself next? Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, um, I promoted too far in the, in the army. <laughs> and now they won't let me play with tools. Promoted beyond the... your competence or just promoted too far? Uh, no, 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 unfortunately, no. doing a good job meant I'm not allowed to do the job I was good at, which is, is good. Anyway, um, so I don't get that anymore. And, and it was... Um, when we spoke, you know, I said quite a bit about there's a there's a big identity crisis yeah, at that yeah. point um, of realizing that the thing I define myself as, you know, this, this bomb disposal operator, um, I couldn't do that anymore, and I couldn't mm. be that person. And I remember chatting to a friend and sort of saying the most, the thing I'm most scared of at the, at the time of transitioning was not being important anymore. Uh, important in my own mind, in my own world, but, but you know, th there was things that I believed in the way I d identified myself was there. Um, and for the last two years, I've been working in a related but very different business scenario of, of military procurement and, and product uh, design and development. Um, and so I'm leaving the army mainly because I can't find what I wanted in there anymore. Um, I'm starting my own company. I'm setting out on my own. Um, I get a lot of, of the challenge and reward from things like uh, I do a lot of off-piste and backcountry skiing. Mm -hmm. um, so I find the sort of... I don't know, maybe I put myself in stupid situations yeah, doing other things, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of it comes from that, a lot of other challenges, but really it is looking for that, that challenge, that, that situation where you can kind of make something out of chaos and, and, and clarity and try and focus down onto a very small area. Yeah, yeah, no, fascinating. And, and certainly, you know, from the, from the athlete background and working with the athletes, the identity mm -hmm. piece and the transition out and sort of, you know, that, yeah, that feeling of importance and, you know, the athletes will talk about, you know, you look on their Twitter feeds and how many of them describe themselves as former rower or ex-rower yep. or whatever, and it's kind of, you know, well, what are you now? You know, and being able to define something that you have an equal sense of importance and kind of going, yeah, I'm making a difference. I know that what I'm doing mm -hmm. and the version of the person I am now is, is, is significant. So, yeah, that's a kind of c compelling answer. Um, again, loads more that we could get into, but time for Q&A when we uh, sort of move on a little bit later. Great cool. insights. Thank you very much for that, uh, Lloyd. And uh, we're going to make the next transition, but great stuff. Thank Please. you, Lloyd. Thank you. Thank you.